0: Hello, welcome back to the Brewery FM podcast hosted by Scott Hogue and Dan Usher, just two techies separated by a really big iPhone, talking cloud, stormtroopers, and technology. I'm sound Soundalike, and this is episode 31, recorded on October 28, 2015. hope you're recording i'm recording and yes we're, we're still casting in here yep fantastic uh so scott with the announcement of outlook's new 2.0 app formerly known as accompli how do you feel today
1: formerly known as we're ruining sunrise yeah no not happy
0: but they're gaining momentum
1: uh, if they're gaining momentum by taking away tools that used to work and consolidating them into tools that uh, do not work in the same manner, then they are doing an
0: absolutely wonderful job. So I uh, I saw the <clears throat> article about Outlook this afternoon around uh, 2 o'clock. I went to the app updates and there was nothing in the app store, so I kind of scratched my head on that one and went, oh, neat. Uh, they're releasing something sort of, but it's not out there yet, so the post comes
1: before the release. Uh, you know, timing that stuff is hard.
0: It is. What was that thing? The Microsoft band? Didn't the article and help file come out before the actual device?
1: Uh, I don't know. Microsoft has a band?
0: Yeah. What kind of
1: music do they play? Uh,
0: Aerosmith. Excellent. Yeah, they're they're a cover band.
1: Like Minikiss? Minikiss, yeah. Have you ever seen Mini-Kiss?
0: Is that the one that, uh, what's that guy? Um, Gene Simmons? No, not Gene Simmons. He works for Planet Technologies, lives in Texas. Miguel Wood. Yeah, Miguel Wood. Is he a Mini-Kiss?
1: No, Mini-Kiss is uh, quite literally Miniature Kiss. I'll let you look it up. We'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Miniature Kiss. No, Mini-Kiss. Mini-Kiss. Not a Mini Hershey Kiss, a Mini Gene Simmons. Look, there they are.
0: Yeah, so don't go use Bing. um, But do go look at Wikipedia for minikiss. It's disturbing.
1: It was awesome, right? Yeah, I saw them at a bar in Ohio and Cleveland. They were great.
0: So many things that could be said. You might as well go ahead and say them now. Uh, we're recording so
1: You have a captive audience.
0: Uh, it's true. Three people. Um, yeah. Tim Farrow and uh, John Backtool. They're still there, listening. Uh,
1: nobody's heard you for a couple of weeks. They're pining.
0: Yeah, well, John Backtool actually sent me a note about a week ago, a week and a half ago, with a question of, is the RSS feed working? Did I miss something? What's going on? And my first thought was, huh, maybe... Uh, Maybe our good friend over at Overcast FM, uh, maybe he inadvertently removed us from his crawls, but nope, we're still there.
1: Yeah, it turns out we have to publish episodes for them to show up well, in the feed. oh
0: details, details. So, uh, a lot has happened, so I figure why not just dive right in.
1: Mm. What so, are we diving into? So, uh, Other than notes that are six weeks old because that's the last time we put them together, oh, because man. you
0: ran away. I did. Uh, so, how are your thoughts on the iPhone 6 Plus?
1: I love the 6 Plus. I am in the 6 Plus club.
0: So, I seem to remember when you first got it, you were going from a iPhone 5S to an iPhone 6S Plus, and you were getting hand cramps, and you... I still haven't figured my way around the, uh, the bug uh, when you twist it which kind of irritates me but uh
1: you Oh yeah the... no it's 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 horrible and it's buggy and it has the rotation thing but uh and you can't use it with one hand ever uh, but you know all, all the bad things aside it's like having a miniature computer in your pocket and it is wonderful i don't even pull my ipad out anymore
0: so I've, i found that uh i think it was john Syracuse said something about the load bearing pinky
1: Yes. So once you get get the pinky
0: down, you can actually do some operations one handed. And
1: well, you have like monster hands that can reach the top of the screen. I have mini kiss midget hands that cannot.
0: You're taller than four four foot four, almost. On a good day, when I wear heels. Ah, yeah, the heels. Yep. Um. So I guess uh, some other interesting news. Uh. I. Haven't found too much benefit from uh, 3D touch. I don't know if you've found too much usefulness from it yet.
1: Uh, It's really good for viewing live photos, the Harry Potter photos, as my kids call them.
0: Oh, how does that work?
1: You just hold down on the Harry Potter photo, and then it Harry Potters it. Really? Yeah. No way. Well, you have to take a Harry Potter photo.
0: Well, I took some Harry Potter photos while I was at the beach, so, so you can record a podcast
1: because you were at the beach. Come
0: on. Yeah, I know excuses. Yep. Uh, I think I, I had several of like waves. So you'd see the wave as it was like crashing. Yep. Um
1: So you go ahead and peek on them, bad boys, and really, they they go ahead and just
0: play for you. Yeah. Huh. Let's yeah, because I, I would just. And... How many seconds does it uh, capture? Uh, uh,
1: about three. Three seconds. Uh, one and a half to three. It depends on what software update you're running.
0: Uh, so if I'm on nine one. Uh,
1: nine one, it will be variable because it tries to cut it off because a lot of people were like putting their phone down as they were taking the picture. So now uh, you know it senses the accelerometers going down and says, "I'm not going to take any more picture now." And then it goes away.
0: oh look at that those actually work now
1: yeah (laughs) they've worked the whole time
0: that's crazy yeah (laughs) so you got the birds yeah
1: yeah yeah they've done that the whole time it's Uh. not that they work it's that you found the button so there's this really nifty little app called lean so you go in and it only shows you it only shows you your live photos lean yes okay uh and it's free in the app store and what it lets you do is uh, like I leave my phone in live photo mode all the time now, mm-hmm. um, but live photos take up more room yep. and uh, for the most part are uh, pretty crappy except for the magical ones. So what Lean lets you do is it filters out just your live photos and it lets you take your live photos and turn, turn it into a static photo. Um, so you can actually get back like three megs per picture. Wow. for all the different ones so if you have something that like uh you know it actually doesn't work as a live photo uh you can go ahead and just turn it into a static picture and it buys you all that space back
0: so you'll like this one
1: right so just hit the cleanup oh no you can't unlive live photo that
0: i know that's uh, good stuff i know
1: uh, she won't notice
0: uh no that's that's wild i didn't
1: realize that they did that yep so there's going to be a couple more apps coming out like that too of course uh but doesn't respect auto rotation lean is the one that's out right now
0: well it's that's pretty wild i uh it's nice to know how uh live
1: photos actually work now yeah hmm. see you've learned something new today um on top of those five other new things that you learned
0: so the other couple apps that uh i've noticed are kind of neat um Swarm. Yep. 3D Touch It automatically takes you to check-in. Yeah, except it the check-in
1: doesn't update your location. Right. So you got to go back and, yeah, don't yeah, bother
0: so it doesn't really notice the GPS piece. TweetBot, uh, I kind of like that. The fact that they've got the tweet and the last photo piece. Um, Facebook, they added, of course, kind of the same deal where you can write a post, take a photo, upload a photo. Uh, Overcast, so two things with Overcast. One, 2.0 came out, so everything's free. Yep. So those of us that paid three bucks five bucks five bucks yes. um now we could get it for free uh but yep. the fact that they have the ability to just hop straight into like whatever you're listening to whatever's uh in your all episodes feed or if you have another feed playlist you've created go ahead and just hop into that that's kind of nice
1: yep so have we ever talked about how i have a podcasting problem or that I listen to too many. Uh,
0: we have how many hours are you up to?
1: I am up to one hundred and twenty-three hours. Oh my gosh! Uh, in smart speed, save time adjustments from Overcast. That's so disturbing. Based on that calculation, uh, the developer of that particular product uh, has gone over to a um, patronage model. So you can kind of just give them a tip. Uh, so I just paid him $12 cause I figured $12 was easily worth 123 hours of my time over the course of the last year.
0: So I had, uh, I had 41 hours and, uh, I also did the $12 patronage. Um, I'm good through October 28th, 2016. Good times, man. Yep. I'm going. Yep. Uh, yeah. Wow. That's kind of crazy. The, the battery life on ours uh i think we're both running the are you on the tsmc
1: uh yes yeah
0: so that that's uh good to know um I kind of feel bad for anybody that has the samsung devices like uh it is all negligible well yeah
1: neither here nor there this is what happens when you source parts from multiple customers. Um, they had this really interesting article today. Uh, so they've had a couple articles over the past couple weeks on um, everything from how Microsoft uh, did like the surface design stuff. With uh, So they had a big interview with uh, Panos uh, Panay. How you say his name? I was screwed up. Um, you know where he was talking about how uh, you know he would wake up at night and go over to his bedstand stand and uh, use his Surface Mini, that unreleased product that never came out. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yep. So, so that was one article which was really awesome, um, all about the design of. Uh, Surface and how they hit this evolution for uh, the Surface book versus the Surface Pro, uh, and really what's going into that and the design mindset behind it, and uh, how they're becoming a little bit more Apple like in the vertical integration that they're taking of owning everything from the hardware to the software stack, and uh, you know, kind of what they can do and the, and the advantages that they have there. Uh, and then there was an article that came out. Uh, recently as well about uh, Apple design and uh, they were talking about how they uh, obsess over uh, the small details um, not even in the design of a product but in the final manufacture of a product uh, so because you have variances in everything that comes off the line um, so you know you can be off by you uh, you're typing on a MacBook, right? So that has the little Apple logo on the back. Um, So that logo, when it gets carved out, can be off by a couple of microns. Uh, So they actually try and find uh, other pieces coming off the line that are going to match that in the same variance. Uh, So the way they described it from a product side of things, uh, the analogy they had was that basically every MacBook is like a Cabbage Patch Kid. Everyone is unique uh, because they're trying to match it up to the individual parts because there's all these variances along the way, um, and I thought that was super interesting.
0: Cabbage Patch Kids.
1: Yeah, your your MacBook is a Cabbage Patch Kid. Sorry,
0: I like my Cabbage Patch Kid. Uh, it's treated me well.
1: Mine's a little old. It's more like a garbage pail kid.
0: Right, well, you've got uh, uh, what's his name. What's the Sesame Street character that lives in a trash can? Really? I'm just trying to play with you, gosh. What, what's what's the Sesame Street character that eats cookies? Cookie Monster. What's the
1: Sesame Street character that goes, one, two, three, ah, ha, ha? The Count? Right. What's the Sesame Street character that lives in a trash can? He's a grouch. Oscar the Grouch, yes. You knew the answer to this. You didn't even have to ask me.
0: <laughs> um... So what else do we have on here? Uh, You were telling me about Star Wars and the despecialized version? Yes. Uh, Tell me more. So,
1: uh, you know, everybody very often goes out and looks for uh, the non-George Lucas ruined versions of uh, Star Wars stuff. So unfortunately... Uh, those versions were never released uh, on high quality media, so uh, like Blu ray or digital or anything like that. Um, so there are some fan edits of episodes four, uh, five, and six uh, that are out there. They're called the de-specialized editions, um, and they're basically, uh, you, know, you know, I. When I say fan edit, you might think it's kind of janky and not really well put together, um, but they're professional like remixes of uh, Star Wars with all the bad parts cut out. So like the horrible CGI uh, things like that. You know, like they haven't gone back and done Episode One and said, uh, "Hey, Jar Jar goes away." But that's why we have the Machete Order for viewing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the specialized editions, uh, high quality audio, high quality video. Uh, fan edits that uh, exist out there that don't have all of the uh, Lucas CGI and, and some of the extra story elements that were added. So, you know, uh, Greedo still shoots first.
0: I'm telling you, Han shot first. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Yeah. So, I guess, yeah, a little bit of background on that. I've been pondering going out and buying the uh, Star Wars movies prior to episode seven coming out. Um, So my thought process on that was, well, just go buy them through iTunes and buying them through iTunes, you know, as long as you are able to find one of those joyous coupon codes to get you an iTunes code card uh, cheaper than what the actual cost is, then you're being able to buy it on discount. Um, But you're telling me, don't go do that. Just go buy the itunes versions and then go find somebody's vhs tapes and port those over to a disc
1: uh, yeah, I would recommend, uh, so th- there's really no good way to fix up one, two, and three. So, you know, go and buy those however you want them, Blu-ray, iTunes, whatever. Um, but then look into the D specialized editions. If you know what a computer is and how to hit Bing, Google DuckDuckGo, your favorite search engine, uh, cause there are other things out there.
0: Hmm. Okay, well, I will have to check that out, I guess. Um, interesting. Very, very interesting. Uh, some other things that you put in the show notes, or maybe I put in the show notes. Somebody put in the show notes 12 years ago. Uh, photos of Star Wars Legos in different situations are like a burst of happiness.
1: Ooh, I don't know. Who would have put that one in there? I was probably you. I was going to go with you. Uh, but it has Legos and Star Wars so it meets all of the criteria It's
0: true um,
1: although I don't know what you're gonna talk about with them because they're really pretty pictures but uh, even described in excruciating detail uh, they are still just pretty pictures maybe so, for the video podcast
0: so there is uh, there's a photo of two stormtroopers one giving the other flowers
1: Oh that's sweet
0: isn't it um, there's one of uh, two... Those aren't really a Lego. Uh, Stormtroopers that are making snow angels and sprinkles. Uh, there's another that uh I think I actually have this downstairs framed of Lego with a little sign that uh it's Stormtrooper, it says free hugs. Um and just you know some other goodness. So if you get a chance, go hit up the show notes and you will see these beautiful little Lego friends. Uh man, how would I get to the show notes? I don't even know if there's a website anymore.
1: Uh, brewery.fm, if it hasn't been shut down. But yeah. the only way it could shut down is if Tumblr goes away, and if Tumblr goes away, I'm it's just trouble. a whole other thing. Zombie apocalypse. Go, you know, hide your children, find your friends, that gotcha. kind of thing.
0: Wow. Huh. Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, other Lego goodness. Um, there's actually, I think it was the Ghostbusters Lego set was released, or will be released. Um, So I know there was already Ecto-1 that was out there. Uh, But they are releasing, I guess it's the uh, Full-Up Firehouse as a new set that's going to be out there. So if you're looking for a fun LEGO set to get me for Christmas... That would be a good option. It would definitely mix things up with the other Legos that are here, of you know, R two D two and so on and so forth. Have you put it on your Christmas registry? You know, I haven't put it on my Christmas registry. It would look great next to the two nests and other devices. Mm. And we're talking about Amazon registry, so
1: right, yes, yeah, yep. that's the one.
0: That it's the only one out there, man. Um, actually, I don't think they have the uh, that set out there yet.
1: Oh, well, yeah. maybe they'll get it in time. Just for you.
0: It's only $349, which, you know, is...
1: Chump change for Legos. True. Especially for the Australian listeners. John Lou's still alive? <laughs> I think so. That's good. He owes me his address so I can send him some goldfish.
0: Uh, I think I might have it somewhere. That's creepy. Yeah.
1: But in an acceptable
0: way, if it means he gets goldfish. Well, I mean, you never can now. Uh, Yeah, so January 1st, 2016. So I guess it'll be a birthday gift instead. Uh, That's too bad. Um, Yeah, so other fun things that we've got in here. Uh, Lightning in Belgium disrupts Google Cloud Services. Tell me more.
1: Uh, That was a long time ago.
0: That was back in
1: August. Yeah, you should just give up on that stuff, and we should move on to stuff that we know about.
0: Oh, man, you're actually telling people that we know something. Um, so what all has been going on in Azure? What a, I noticed they came out with a preview of Azure 1.0 for PowerShell.
1: Uh, yeah, so there, there's all sorts of things that have been going on. So uh, you mentioned the release of the 1.0. O.0 preview commandlets, mm-hmm. uh, So that's for Azure PowerShell. Uh, so we're finally hitting that uh, fork in the road between uh, ASM and ARM. Uh, so that split sort of uh, becomes official with this 1.0 preview, which eventually it will become 1.0 proper or, uh, you know, 1.0 dot whatever. Uh, and it'll go ahead and be in place. Uh, so the really cool thing is, uh, now that ARM and ASM are split out, so you have a bunch of new commandlets uh, with some new noun verb stuff going on. Uh, but for the most part, uh, now you've got uh, some new nouns uh, for Azure versus Azure RM. Uh, so you've got uh, basically the, the old ASM command that's kept the original names uh, and everything that's over in Resource Manager now lives under uh, this Azure RM uh, now namespace. Uh, so that's one of the big things is you actually you know might have to go back and retool some scripts and things like that, but hey, that's why we have the preview so we can get ready to do this. Uh, the other really cool thing about it is the way that they've gone about and constructed this Uh, you can go and load up basically individual subsets of functionality from ARM that, that you may or may not need. So uh, say you're doing things only with compute and storage, uh, you can go ahead and just load up the subset of modules to make all that stuff happen. uh, And you can keep your console sessions a a little bit leaner and everything else. Um, You know, there's, some kind of growing pains going on right now just because this is a new release. It's the first flip over to uh, the new uh, command set and everything that's going into that. So, uh, you know, if folks do have issues with it, uh, you can go out and create issues on the GitHub repo for uh, the Azure PowerShell stuff. Uh, The team there has been very responsive. Uh, You know, I've probably had 100 emails from that repo today. They must be getting ready for another push because all the... Automated builds and all the merges and everything are coming through right now. Um, So it's it's tooling that's out there. It's available in this preview state. Uh, Everybody should probably go take a look at it, especially if you're in the Azure land and you're doing any kind of uh, IT pro-ish administration from the Windows side of things. Um, And you're doing PowerShell because uh, no matter what, at some point, you're going to want to make the investment in uh, ARM if you haven't already. Uh, or just generally being ready for this split between ARM and ASM and, and all the things that are going to come down the uh, road with it. Cool. i got to go
0: catch up on that. I've been, uh, been not playing with Azure as much as I should recently.
1: Yeah, it, it, like I said, it changes the mindset a little bit, uh, especially for the way you know in the past, if you were just loading up that one module and then switching between modes, Uh, So now you've got multiple modules, you've got these subsets of functionality. So uh, you can really be a little more precise in what you're doing and how you're going about it, but you'd want to walk through the documentation and and see what the team has done so far. Uh, They've been quite a bit better lately about uh, trying to get help and documentation out there. Uh, So as these releases come out, uh, they'll have more of the automated help that's being built on the back end during the build systems, uh, which for the most part means at least every parameter and parameter set and things like that um, should have at least the default system generated help. Uh, And then, uh, you know, where they can, they're going out and going above and beyond, and uh, making some of those other things so uh, you know I' want to gloss it over and sell it as perfect because it's really rough around the edges and Azure documentation like a lot of other Microsoft stuff these days um, has been just because of the pace they're moving at uh, so you know it, it might be a little bit of a learning curve for some folks but uh, again everybody should go out there and uh, give it a whirl and uh, you know if, if you have problems with it uh, please go out and create issues. Uh, on that uh, GitHub repo so everything comes through and it can be surfaced and
0: fixed for everybody. Always trying to be the nice guy helping everybody else out. Uh,
1: Yeah, you know, I've never actually created an issue on that repo. uh, (laughs) Truth be told, but uh, it's very easy to tell other people to do it.
0: True, true. Uh, So something else that was recently released the Azure Azure, Azure Axer so many pronunciations. Which one's right? Azure. Ah. Uh, so the color blue, um, not to be confused with blue, the operating system, uh, they have a public preview of support for Azure MFA and device management for Azure Active Directory. Um, Ooh, tell me more. Kind of a nice little, nice little thing. So in the past, if you wanted to go in and connect to your Azure Active Directory, you would do so using uh, just, you know, <coughs> good old... Uh, MSOL connection, um, which again, Microsoft services online. Uh, so if you're ever doing Office 365 connectivity and working with user accounts, you had to find your way into using Azure Active Directory to be able to do so. Um, but you were forced to use a organization account or a work ID and you were forced to have a username and password. Uh, at one point a long time ago, I think they actually allowed you to use a management certificate, but I think they've done away with that. No, no, they actually never did a lot of that. That was the not case. not for, for MSOL. That, right. that that was yeah.
1: for Azure, which right. now Azure is in a weird space where you can't use management certificates for some things, and for other things well, you have to use username. Resource
0: management, you can't,
1: but for ASM you still can. Yeah, but
0: yeah, it's kind of weird. It's the
1: can versus can't.
0: Yeah, so uh, now they actually have support for MFA um, through this new set of commandlets. This preview version. Uh, so if your organization uses more than just a username and password, no problem. You can actually have it go in and use that, uh, phone factor connectivity to be able to give you that ability to go in and, uh, you know, use your device, whether that's a phone call where it gives you a pin or your device itself using uh, an app, uh, that produces that code for you to type back in. So kind of cool. Um, It does remove a few things, uh, so you can no longer tell it to use current credentials. Um, So in the past, if you had already logged in, uh, you had the ability to kind of trick Azure Active Directory when you were logging in to allow you to use whatever your device credentials were. Uh, Apparently, that parameter has been removed, so no longer can you do that.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, all of this stuff comes back to adopting the tooling that's coming out from all the different teams, so... Uh, I believe they're starting to adapt or adopt ADAL and all those libraries on the back end. And by, uh, you know, this is kind of the same transition that uh, things like the office clients went through. So by adopting ADAL, they automatically get a bunch of that support by being on, you know, this same common library and SDK across the board. Uh, And it gives them all the support and things they need to be able to make this tooling work the way that it works today.
0: So now it's kind of a consistent uh, experience across everything. It's not just...
1: Uh, in theory, except when it breaks and, you know, you go, uh, well, uh, yeah, there was a bug in ADAL. Uh,
0: so, you know... Stuff never breaks.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, all that stuff's moving along uh, at a pretty frenetic pace. So uh, there's been a number of introductions of functionality within... Uh, Azure AD over the past couple weeks. So uh, a couple weeks ago we had uh, AzureCon and uh, there were some new announcements that came out surrounding that. Uh, So we have things uh, have you looked at all at the Azure uh, B2B and B2C offerings? I have not. Uh, So these are pretty neat. So now you have the ability to basically uh, quasi federate uh, between uh, Azure AD tenancies. So uh, so if you have an Azure AD tenant and I have one, uh, we can actually basically consume users from both tenants. Um, and then I can do really cool things with something like in a B2B scenario Uh, where maybe I have like a partner organization that I work with and say I leverage something like uh, SharePoint online and I'm using dynamic groups because I have Azure AD premium, right? Um, So I can actually go ahead and invite a subset of users from your directory into my directory. And then once they're in that directory, they're still managed within yours. So all their usernames and passwords and everything are over and within your directory. Um, But then I see them as abstractions in my directory and I can leverage them through other, Azure services. So, I can actually start adding them to uh, Azure AD uh, security groups and uh, a bunch of other things. So, uh, that's basically one model is saying, hey, we've got this uh, new B2B capability or really partner organization to partner organization. So, organizations that have established Azure Active Directories uh, that have a need to uh, share one or more users or groups between those directories. So, uh, all that stuff is out and uh, in preview today, and uh, that should work with uh, existing directories. So awesome. yeah, you know everybody can go out and give that a whirl and turn it on and you, you know you can really start to see some interesting scenarios come into play uh, when you talk about being able to partner with one or more organizations from an identity perspective. Uh, so that's B2B. Uh, B2C is uh, a new type of directory, uh, which basically lets you go out and uh, create a brand new directory that will allow you to log in with things like uh, a straight up Microsoft account or a Google account or uh, all those kind of things. So it's some of that uh, ACS, that access control services functionality, um, that was kind of there and then went away because it was deprecated or uh, outside entities changed things. Um, so now that's all coming back around. Uh, so that's a new type of directory that can be created through the portal. Uh, you know, folks can go ahead and, and spin that up. There's some documentation out there around how to actually create uh, the login screens and uh, start to consume some of the uh, SAML tokens from that. Uh, I believe they do SAML and Jot tokens. Uh, I'm not too sure, though. I haven't had too much time to dig into that one, but uh, it is one of those other offerings that's out there.
0: Hmm. So it's kind of funny you bring these two up. Because the B2B piece, at least, uh, not necessarily the B2C piece, Uh, back when Office 365 was, so Office 365 uses Azure Active Directory on the back end for users. Um, Back when they were still Microsoft services, like business productivity services, BPOS, uh, there was a federation bridge capability that you could use through that. Uh, where users could see, they could do like uh, calendar sharing and whatnot for availability uh, in between tenants. Um, And it was weird stuff. I mean, it was very, it was mostly exchange federation. It wasn't really SharePoint federation. Um, What they have added since, uh, and it's not necessarily the B2B piece, but it is possible to go in with PowerShell uh, and set up a quasi federation where, you either allow all Active Directories from Office 365 to be able to federate with you. Uh, so, if you had one tenant user account, you could add them to another tenant. Not a big deal. Or you can put, I believe, just a subset. And that might actually be a functionality that's with the new B2B. That's
1: that's all the B2B offering. So, yeah. like, if you want but to you invite. Could,
0: you could if, go out and just like, I think it was like all or nothing in the yeah. past where it was you can federate with everyone or you can federate with no one. And now, I believe what they've done is without adding like an additional ADFS on your own on prem or anything, you can federate to everyone or you can federate to a subset.
1: Yeah, you're basically going out to, with the B2B offering, going out to partner organizations, being very deliberate about uh, who or what you're you're going to bring into your directory. Yep. Um, or, you know, vice versa, what you're going to send over to another directory. So there's some. Um, Uh, CSV files that get exchanged with some IDs and usernames or group names and and things like that. Um, There's been uh, some decent documentation that's been released by the uh, Azure Active Directory team as part of this. Uh, So the Active Directory team blog has had a bunch of stuff around it. Uh, And then uh, Steve Peska, who runs the uh, Office 365 Mon, O365 Mon service. Hey, Mon. Yep. Yep. Uh, He has uh, a couple of blog posts out there around the B2B offering and just kind of how he went through adding users from um, actually one of his other directories, you know, because some of us have multiples of these kicking around uh, and, you know, the process to go ahead and make all that happen. So, uh, you, you know, again, that stuff's out there. It's in preview. Uh, you know, just kind of waiting for people to play with it. Uh, I'd imagine it will all have tie-ins later on down the road with uh, some of the new, or at least have some impacts with some of the new app model stuff that's coming out. So the uh, Azure AD applications uh, making the switch from uh, apps, basically that, that apps 1.0 SDK to apps 2.0 and uh, the new login flows and, and everything that are going to come with that. Uh, so you know, if anybody... Uh, you know, is playing in that space, they'll probably want to get ahead of a little bit and uh, see what's coming out. So uh, outside of those two offerings, so uh, B2B and B2C, uh, one of the other new things that got released into Preview was also uh, Azure Active Directory Domain Services. So uh, AADDS. And Domain Services is basically... Uh, an abstraction of uh, an active directory domain uh, that Microsoft runs for you uh, up in Azure. So you can take an existing Azure Active Directory tenant, uh, as long as it's uh, not tied into uh, an availability group. So it has to be like uh, all set up within a regional VNet and and some other things. so uh, you know a couple kind of prerequisites to get there. Um, but what happens is you can turn on this uh, domain services mode and effectively what Azure does is it spins up a couple of domain controllers on the back end uh, that mirror your directory out. and Microsoft handles uh, the management provisioning and the HA and everything behind those. Uh, but it lets you start to do some really interesting things with Azure Active Directory that we could not do in the past. So uh, there were some big limitations in the past that we couldn't have things like group policy generated out of Azure Active Directory, uh, or we could not have uh, the ability to domain join users or computers to uh, an Azure Active Directory tenant. So with domain services, we gain the ability to do those things. Um, which kind of fills a pretty big gap. So if you're doing something like DirSync today or AD Connect Sync, um, you're really doing some form of directory synchronization. Um, effectively, you know, in the past with a lot of uh, implementations, you'd have to go out and have uh, some kind of redundant uh, AD controller, maybe sitting up in an Azure IaaS tenant or something like that, or you know, maybe you wanted to run something like SharePoint up in. Uh, Azure IaaS, well, you know, SharePoint needs its computers and its service accounts to belong in a directory and maybe you do not want to bring your whole directory, so you had this extra thing that sat up there. Um, you really don't need to do that anymore because now as long as um, those IaaS services exist within uh, a VNet that you've said can access your uh, Azure Active Directory domain service, uh, then you can go ahead and just join those straight to that, and you can cut out a couple of IaaS VMs because Microsoft's just going to run it for you uh, all as a service. So there are some caveats. Oh, there's there's a ton of caveats with this one, right? So, um, for it, instance,
0: around security, uh, and I'll just read these straight. Uh, one thing that we had the ability to do with Azure Active Directory was I believe what they called administrative units, AUs. Maybe. Am I crazy on that? I don't know. You said you're reading it straight. and Now you're asking me questions? Just go read it straight. (laughs) Yeah, so we have Azure Active Directory uh, administrative units for management. And that was something that came out back late last year. Um, And those were the first attempt, I think, at uh, Microsoft trying to create like an OU structure of sorts. Um, But anyway, they're Three caveats, at least, around security. So you're talking about GPOs. Caveat, <clears throat> Azure Active Directory, Domain services, support simple group policy in the form of a built-in GPO, each for the users and computer containers. You cannot target GP by OU, department, perform WMI filtering, or create custom GPOs.
1: Correct. And, and part of that is, um, so the thing that everybody needs to keep in mind is, uh, really what's happening is your Azure AD tenant continues to sit where it is, and Microsoft is provisioning this other back-end piece to the side. So really it's mirroring your entire Azure AD tenant into this own abstract of a thing. So really it looks to you like you're still running one tenant, but on the back-end there's two of them running. Um, so you know, Microsoft only has so much leeway that they can you don't mess around with things um, to make all that work the way they did it. Um, it's, it's, it's actually kind of weird because you'll turn this stuff on and all of a sudden, yep, you really have two, uh, two data sets um, and potentially three. So if you're doing DirSync, you'll have your one-on-premises that's going ahead and synchronizing up to the cloud. And then if you turn on uh, domain services, you'll have this other uh, dire- set of directories that comes online and now uh, you've got DirSync to your Azure AD tenant, and then you've got uh, an internal synchronization from your Azure AD tenant uh, over to your domain service tenant, which, you know, again, on the front end all looks like one thing. So uh, that's kind of a big downside to it. Um, and as part of that, like you said, you end up with uh, some strange things that happen along the way. Um, So, you know, if you have deep investments in GPOs and a bunch of other things, which um, lots of the organizations that were probably already standing up IaaS VMs and doing replication and site-to-site VPNs or uh, express route connections, things like that, uh, you, you know, this might not be an offering that fits their needs,
0: yeah, one of the other uh, little bits is, you know, if I wanted to run Exchange or if I wanted to run uh, Link or Skype for Business off of Azure Active Directory domain services, I can't because I can't extend the domain schema.
1: Right. And and again, that's a byproduct of it being a copy of your Azure AD tenant yep. and not your on-premises AD. So. Um, Azure AD has all those limitations in it, right? Like it doesn't sync up every attribute and things like that because they all don't exist there. Um, so you're going to run into that same kind of
0: roadblock on the other side as well. So, but the flip side is, if I've got a SharePoint environment and a SQL environment, I can now use Azure Active Directory Domain Services for that. Granted, I won't actually have a what is it? Uh, uh, what's that, that one piece of SharePoint that writes into Active Directory schema? The endpoint? Uh,
1: yeah, so, so so you'll have some of like the registration features that so exist, but th- those uh, still uh, most people error.
0: don't even know that you can configure that stuff yeah, in the first. So you'll, place. So you'll still have that error, um, but you know at least this way you've got everything pretty much up in the cloud, managed by the cloud, and users up in the cloud, and. All that's sitting right there. Caveat being that some people may not want to do that. They might want to segregate things out where they still federate users into their SharePoint environment.
1: Yeah. The nice thing about uh, domain services is it cuts out uh, potentially two IaaS VMs yep. um, that you might have had and would have had to manage. So, uh, you know, this is another case of that kind of platform as a service stuff coming down the pipe. Um, there's going to be limitations with it, but if you can live within the constraints of those limitations and they meet your business requirements today, uh, or maybe they're going to meet your business requirements in the future, whatever that is, uh, then you just go ahead and uh, y- you know move forward with it because it's something that Microsoft can manage for you. It's a minimal cost. like It is way cheaper um, to shove 5,000 objects into uh, an A DDS. Uh, than it is to run two domain controllers for the month. You know, you're you're, you're talking orders of magnitude lower.
0: Sure. So
1: you might as well let Microsoft manage it uh, where they can manage it. So um, yeah, I I think one of the biggest downsides is going to be that that directory is just a copy of your Azure AD tenant. And it's not actually a copy of, you know, the synchronized or sync tenant. There's some other problems to... Uh, with just getting it set up and and ready to go. So uh, when you're doing directory synchronization and then you go ahead and turn on uh, some of this functionality, um, it needs to go ahead and uh, do some things with your NTLM and Kerberos hashes that sit in Active Directory. Um, So you'll potentially be doing uh, like a forced uh, DirSync on-premises to get uh, new hashes up there. Uh, or if you're in a cloud-only scenario, you actually have to go through and reset all the users' passwords uh, and you know get them to generate a new password. So it generates a new hash and, and does all those kind of things. So... Um, you know, that's that's one kind of pitfall or thing to watch out for. Um, another one is if anybody deployed it on day one and they got really frustrated, like they read the blog post and said, oh, you know, uh, I thought this was going to work and it didn't, um, you have to be running the latest revision of AD Connect. And uh, there is a registry key that you need to set on your synchronization server uh, to be able to synchronize hashes over the right way when you're doing password sync. Uh, so that they can be recognized by the ds tenancy Um, because if you don't do that what's going to happen is you're going to go to log in to say like domain join a machine to that ds tenancy and you might be able to domain join it but then you won't be able to log into it with any users because uh, their password hatches don't actually match what's in the directory because everything hasn't been synced across the board
0: yeah Yeah, i mean the I pity the guys that are running Active Directory having multiple spots to go check, and they say the cloud will make life easier.
1: <laughs> uh, it, you know, it's funny. I was uh, sitting down with a client this morning, and we were kind of going through and doing a review of their uh, AAD Connect setup and how they had done that, um, and they're one of these organizations who has uh, like a dot .local domain, and so we have to do that transformation for now to send up the email as UPN, right? Um, and we know that's not the ideal state, but it gets us into POC and lets us do some other things. And, uh, you know, we're sitting through this meeting and, and you know, of course, I, I piped up and said, oh, you know, that's, that's a quick thing. Like, let's go ahead and fix that for you. Because what they were doing was they were synchronizing users across. All their users were coming across with uh, like their dot, dot on Microsoft domain. And then they were going and manually editing the users and flipping them over to the other domain. So, um, you know, I raised my hand and said, well, you you shouldn't have to do this. Ideal state uh, would be, of course, those users get synchronized synchronized across the right way with the proper UPN and, and everything else um, so you know I said here let's just pull up the wizard you know because last time I did this it was just in the wizard you know it was like blah 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 go through um, and then in whatever version of AD Connect they had today it happened to be one of the ones where I had to go into the synchronization rules editor right so now it's all, sort, all of a sudden like the dark wizard like oh yeah we need to go into the outbound connection and uh, let's go into your user identity flow and uh, one of the guys in the room had uh, happened to be a, a FIM, like an MIS geek. He'd been doing that stuff for a long time. He's like, really, can't we just go into like MIS and change the, you know, the connector? And it's like, well, no, that's really not a great idea because the next time somebody goes ahead and runs the configuration wizard, that's going to go ahead and reset your connector. So we really need to do it within the sync thing and within the rule editor and, and blah, 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 and all these other things. So uh, it's very much this moving target and, uh, you know, Not a very settled space at the moment. Um, And it only gets complicated by all these other offerings and and things that are uh, coming on down the pipe. So it's iterating at a rapid pace.
0: Lovely. Uh, So kind of rounding the circle of Azure, uh, one of the things that they added was the ability to do, I guess, what, AD join or workplace join? Uh, so they've had that for a while, yeah. So they they've added device management, really basic capabilities uh, through PowerShell through those commandlets that I was talking about 20 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, where basically you can get a list of everything that a particular user might own. So if you've joined your db 8 Delvenu8, or some other device to your Azure tenant, you can now just query on Scott Hogue and pull that information back.
1: You is this just for an
0: enable or you can do a remove
1: is, is that just for azure tenants or is that for azure tenants that are t- tied into office 365 mdm lite uh i think it's just for azure all right cuz we've also got that mdm lite offering which offers some other stuff and some other manageability aspects yep yeah uh, and also
0: helps out with workplace join and flipping right. some of those switches and,
1: yeah right
0: so anyway, they've, they've added in these additional commandlets, so you can do a little bit more uh, querying. So if you wanted to pull in like, I don't know, say you've got a user that has 28 devices and in the past you had to go through and, you know, click each one through the portal. Now you can just go through, query the individual user, write a quick, uh, you know, force <coughs> for loop and boom, you're done. Just that easy. Just that easy. Magic. Magic indeed the gathering uh let's see what other pseudo goodness do we have before we run out and turn into pumpkins um gotta be almost out of time right well you know we've only been going for 49 minutes
1: yep yep, we're out of time
0: so one last thing um two last things here we go and this kind of bring it (laughs) this kind of makes fun of uh office 365 no not really uh, we'd hate to make fun of Office 365, uh, although the repos are pretty cool these days. Um, so, so, so can we talk about that one real quick? I'm, I'm pseudo-reluctant. Uh, uh,
1: you, you know what? I'll, I'll talk about it because I know you're always, uh, you, you know, you don't want to ruffle any feathers or things like that. So, so,
0: so there's the office. So we always, you know, when people come talk to us, and they say, ah, I'm developing for Office 365, SharePoint Online. I don't know where to start. Like, I always just kind of giggle because in the past it's been, well, how much do you know about the app model? And they typically shrug their shoulders and say, I don't know. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> yeah, and I kind of cry a little bit inside and call up Todd Bleeker and say, can you please go talk to them for a little while? Or Andrew Connell or somebody. Um, and then folks go and they're like, oh, I wish there was a better way to provision sites. I'm like, oh, gosh, you, you really need to get a handle on this, people. Um, so dev.office.com. Uh, Jeremy Thacos me a beer. Um, is that lovely site out there that has all the different development materials for how to better use Office 365 SharePoint online, um, as well as just different components of Office uh, core since I guess they're doing what uh, Office is a platform that you can consume. Um, so you know they've got you know different PowerShell commandlets out there, different provisioning, templates out there. If you want to have something that does provisioning a little bit different using web jobs, uh, they have the UI fabric, which they published up there. They've got the unified API for iOS, all these different things out there. And you were, you mentioned uh, they, they had added a new repo. You want to tell me more about that?
1: Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, for folks that follow along with uh, office PMP dev uh, and particularly uh, the uh, the monthly uh, calls that go along with that, so they, they basically have monthly community calls. So uh, there's always been a sense that uh, you know, at least from the outside, that uh, the repo can be a little unstable, or maybe it's just moving at a pace that mm-hmm. is a little too fast for. Uh, you know, folks who are consuming an enterprise service to be able to go ahead and run with and uh, make everything happen the way it needs to happen. So, uh, you know, to get ready or to try and alleviate some of that pain that comes from, uh, you know, this this open source development model of uh, let's constantly churn and push to the next thing and. Uh, You know, maybe that doesn't lead to the best documentation and everything's just a sample or or anything like that. Um, You know, they've opened up and said, we want to have, right now the repo name is called the PMP Partner Track. Um, But really the intent is to have uh, a place for solutions uh, that are really stable, uh, getting started areas. Um, so everything that in there would still be derived from the PNP core um, and and kind of that common library or set of functionality that drives PNP. Uh, and then from within that, there's going to be this superset, uh, or at least my understanding of it is there's going to go ahead and be a superset of uh, samples that sit on top of that uh, that are uh, meant to be more stable or more easily consumable because they're not always going to be this, uh, constantly moving target with, you know, everything going back and forth. So, uh, you know, it might be misnamed a little bit in that it's the partner, uh, partner repo, cause really it would be, uh, partners and customers, right? Anybody who's looking for, uh, a little bit more stability or a little less churn within uh, the PNP repo. So so, uh, so, what value does it bring to me, Scott? Uh, well, as of today, it doesn't bring you too much value because it's really uh, just a stub uh, that sits out there at the moment. So if you go to PNP, uh, mm-hmm. or so what is it, uh, github.com slash office dev, and uh, you take a look at the repositories that exist out there. Uh, there's going to be a repository for uh, PNP Partner. And right now it just kind of has that basic uh, description. You know, here's what we intend for this to be. So there's a readme uh, file. Someday. Yep. So it has a very pretty readme file, Dan. Not just any readme file. Mind you, this was, this was put in three months ago. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, so again, this has been talked about on community calls and things like that. Um, it just hasn't been uh, widely communicated yet. So by going ahead and putting this out here, um, this is kind of the start of putting all that together. So, you know, this is Microsoft making an attempt at putting a stable thing out there.
0: So, you don't want to talk about the value that they talk about on the page? Oh, no, I
1: just wanted you to ask me about it. Oh. I was going to draw you into the conversation a little oh, bit. That's, so That's kind of you. Yeah. Um, All right. I mean, I, I mean, I'll talk about the value, it's, right? It's
0: neat that they've got four different bullet points out there. I think you know the first one, I, I do agree, each partner would have their own starting point for their customizations. Beautiful. The fact that you know you can go to one spot, have a core that you're building off of, so instead of like just starting from scratch and kind of going willy-nilly left and right it gives you that starting point that you can start from.
1: This this would also hopefully uh, lead towards, uh, as everything starts from the core, uh, everything should be a little bit more the same. So maybe there's not so much of this uh, heartburn from customizations from, oh, my developers built this, but my developers built this. Like, no, let's all start from the standard stable place that's recommended by the office team uh, and go ahead and, and move on from there. So, you know, that's, that's supposed to be based on Real-world guidance and and very often the samples and solutions and things that are out there, um, they are. These are you know MCS consultants who are out on client sites and they're building real-world stuff.
0: They've uh, got they've got their second one. Each partner would have ready-to-use demo based on PMP guidance. So again, you know my developers, they always say, or not even my developers, just developers in the community. They'll be like, oh, I've been struggling with this. Again, they, it's level set. They've got that spot. They're not having to go left and right to try and figure out. How do we build a demo that actually follows the guidance of the product team? And then the third one, level setting community with the model. You know, just what I said, you've got that even playing field. You're not having to try and educate folks willy-nilly all over the place. Perfect. So you're on
1: board with all those things, yeah. right? All right. So the, so the fourth one is uh, really around um, having this be a single source repository for uh a really good getting started model right so a concentration on sufficient guidance on getting started Um, and then it has a nice dash and it says even idiots will learn how to use office 365 and azure together Um, so i don't know if this is the best way for office dev to go ahead and approach their customers in a public repo and say "Um, hey partners and customers we realize that you're all idiots and don't understand how this stuff works so uh, we're going to dumb it down and simplify it for you until the point that it does work uh, maybe not the way that um, you know a traditional marketer would have gone with it. Um, so hopefully they get that cleaned up. Uh, they start to get some of the samples pushed out there um, and some other things and maybe this can buy some uh, goodwill with the community and
0: everything along the way. Maybe if they just gave everybody a Skylake processor that'd be nice.
1: Skylake like Specter like Specter soon Dan
0: soon. Maybe, 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 but... All right, uh, so, so that was one thing. That uh, was the second. That was, that was actually it. Oh, that, that was two things. Oh, right, the other thing. My bad. Uh, so you have an iPhone. I do. Uh, you're now a Verizon customer. I am. Uh, so something that T-Mobile put in place, I guess with iOS 8, was the ability to do Wi-Fi calling through iOS. Uh, so something that apple put in place well that apple put in place uh, and, T-Mobile and and you've been able to do it on android for a while i think uh through some of the different samsung phones do wi-fi calling and t-mobile yep uh sprint adopted it so they started allowing it and that functionality was enabled on sprint ios devices uh at&t recently put in a waiver for the fcc and said hey we'd like to do this too Finally, big red Verizon put in that waiver and said, hey, we want in, too. Um, so it's pretty exciting to see that actually come into fruition. Yep. So, well, th- th- there's a couple things.
1: So uh, from the FCC side, so uh, turns out that T-Mobile and Sprint never actually got a waiver.
0: Oh. Uh, they just went
1: out and did all this stuff on their own. Uh, which caused AT&T to step in because, you know, they were uh, taking a beating in the tech press or whatever for not turning this stuff on while everybody else was. Um, so they called out all their friends and, uh, you know, said, uh, hey, FCC, like, why haven't you fined these guys? They've gone out and basically done this illegally because um, they don't have a waiver. Uh, and then uh, they said, well, yeah, let's let us go ahead and request one of those. So uh, they went ahead and did that. and Yep functionality is there and and kind of ready to go, Uh, you know you got to be a little careful with it. It, it, It's missing out on some of the uh, 911 functionality, which could be kind of important if your mobile phone is the only phone in the house. You might not want it on Wi-Fi calling or things like that.
0: So funny enough, uh, you mentioned that Verizon mentioned they were putting in their waiver and they said, but we can already make phone calls over Wi-Fi our devices through our app and i know you and i both kind of scratched our heads and we we're like which app are they talking about and went back and found the good old messaging app that they released a couple i think it was about a year and a half ago they put it out there so that you could have a synchronous uh thing of text messages from computer to device to device um similar to how imessage works kind of like imessage but not tied to apple devices yeah. right um, but then they also had, they added the ability recently to make phone calls through that. So I thought that was interesting uh, wording that Verizon had because I'm willing to bet the majority of people that have the Messenger Plus app on their mobile device don't realize you can do that.
1: Uh, yeah. It also, uh, you know, I went out and installed it and then got a funky text message that it turns on some stuff that. I probably never wanted turned on on my Verizon account, and like what? Uh, I, I don't know. What I forget what the message was. What was it? It was. Uh, oh yeah, look. Uh, I, I would open it up, but the app just airs out. Uh, I am now um, an integrated messaging customer. And then it sends you another text that says, hey, you might want to turn iMessage off because that might break some other stuff and blah, blah, blah. Um, Because really, we'd like to charge you like 40 cents for an SMS and not have you send your text messages for three through these other services.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to stick with iMessage. Yep, for the moment. Sounds like playing. Last but not least, to close out, Office 365, Office Lens gets just a little bit better.
1: That's three things. You broke your rule.
0: I always break my rule. So if you're curious, uh, Office Lens now does support Office 365 accounts um, for both work and school. Uh, They've made some other enhancements around business card scanning, so no longer do you have to use Mechanical Turk for it. Um, But yeah, you should uh, should check it out. Um, If you're not using – I mean, if you're using OneNote and you're not using Office Lens, you're probably missing out on the ability to just snap things and have them – Automatically show up inside your OneNote notebook. I use, Similar to what I you use could do OneNote with Evernote for
1: show notes, and that's about it. Because I despise it for all other things. But
0: so they're catching up to OneNote eventually. They, I mean, they should just buy OneNote and rebrand it. <laughs> I mean, Evernote. Evernote, uh, you know, Evernote has its own problems these days. I just can't hmm. switch hmm. yet. Well, uh, I think that's a wrap. Uh, hopefully, Jason Hemmelstein gets this message that uh, we miss him.
1: Yep. Uh, yeah. And if he's listening, I totally slapped you on the ass at your wedding.